Well, happy Father's Day, Thorn Creek. What did you think of that video? Did anybody laugh? Great jokes, right? Uh, welcome to church. Those of you watching online, welcome. Uh, if you're here in person to all the dads, we want to encourage you to make sure you get your dad's root beer. It's only once a year we drink that stuff. It's delicious. So if you guys don't drink it, I'm going to end up drinking a lot of it. So I uh, need you guys to get some of that dad's root beer. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Nick. I am the Life Stages pastor here at Thorn Creek Church. Uh, kind of a lot of transition happened this week, actually. Um, Pastor Ruben is on a vacation. He's actually scheduled this vacation five times. He's always had to cancel it due to COVID or something else happening. So it's on a, he's on a much-deserved trip with his family. Pastor Jeremy was scheduled to preach this message today, uh, but we found out on Thursday night at 10 p.m. that he's come down with COVID. So we're praying for him. So at 10 p.m. on Thursday, it was on me. Uh, to prepare this message. So I'm excited to be here and to be doing this today. Um, and so we are in our, we're in our series right now called Hebrews, where we're going through the book of Hebrews one chapter a week. Um, today, this is week three of this series. So we're in chapter three of, uh, of Hebrews. Um, it's important to, uh, to remember the context of, of this particular book in the Bible. Um, we don't know who wrote the letter of Hebrews. There's, there's no significant, significant evidence that points to exactly who the author is, but there's speculation that could have been Paul or, or Barnabas or Apollos, uh, but no one really knows for sure. We do know that it was written to the Jewish Christians in the first century. Uh, they were experiencing a lot of persecution from Nero um, and society. They were being arrested, tortured, and killed because they were being blamed for setting Rome on fire. So they were facing a lot of this persecution. So these Jewish Christians felt like giving up. And the writer of the book of Hebrews is actually writing to them to encourage them to stay in the fight, to keep going and to not abandon their faith. Or, or even to, and, and the biggest fear was for them to go back to Judaism, to go back to their previous belief. And, and I was thinking, I know that we can relate with the early Christians here. When things get tough, we sometimes need to be reminded who Jesus is. When you go through something difficult or tragic, you need your brothers and sisters in Christ to come alongside you and encourage you and say, hey, I know this is hard, but don't forget that God is with you. Amen? Sometimes we need to be told that. Sometimes we need to be reminded of the fact that when we walk through the fire, when we walk through the water, that we will not be burned, that we will not drown because we have a Savior. His name is Jesus, and he's with us. And sometimes we need brothers and sisters to remind us of that truth. And so that's kind of where the, the, the early Christians are when the book of Hebrews is being written. They're kind of at this point where they just need to be reminded that Jesus is Lord. Sometimes when you feel like walking away or giving up, you need to be reminded that it's Jesus who provides strength. It's Jesus who takes care of you. And so the Jewish Christians were at this place and they needed to be encouraged to stay the course. Because following Jesus is not easy. It's not an easy thing to do. It requires this patient endurance. It requires trust in all seasons of life. You know, we as Christians, we follow Jesus in all seasons, right? Whether it's we're on the mountaintop, things are good, the refrigerator is full, uh, the bank account looks good, and then we follow Jesus when we're in a place of need. And we trust Jesus regardless of our circumstances, it can be easy to get to this place of saying, it's not worth it. I'll just go back to the way that things were before. And that's where these Hebrews are. So 
they're ready to let go and the writer of Hebrews has to remind them that Jesus is greater. And that's a common theme in Hebrews. As we look into this, and if you've been here in this series for the first you know, couple messages, each message has talked about how Jesus is greater. This is a common theme in the book of Hebrews. So as we read Hebrews chapter 3, I encourage you, those of you who are able to stand out of reverence for God's word, if you can stand with me, those of you who are able, and we will read Hebrews chapter 3 together. It says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house. And we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. So as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As has just been said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned? whose bodies perished in the wilderness, and to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest if not for those who disobeyed. So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Well, Father God, we thank you for your word today. God, we pray, uh, would you speak to us today, Lord? May your word come alive in our hearts. And God, I just ask on a personal note, Lord, that you would just um, use me for your glory, God, that that, I... you would speak your word through me. God, you know the word that your people need to hear. Uh, You know it far better than I do, Lord. And you see every heart, you see all things. And I pray, Lord, would you just um, use me, but push me aside so your word can be heard for your people today, God. We need a fresh word from you. May it fall fresh on us, God. Have your way in our hearts. We are willing, we are here. We are ready for you. So Jesus, have your way in us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Um, Hebrews chapter 3, it's broken up into two parts. 
The first part really talks about how it's on this theme of Jesus is greater than Moses. That's a huge deal that we're going to talk about here in a little bit. That's a, that's a big deal. Um, but that's the kind of the first part. It talks about how Jesus is greater than Moses. And then the second part really talks about hearing God's voice, not hardening your heart, and being receptive to God in our lives. And so this part one, this Jesus is greater than Moses, this was a big deal um, because Moses was a, was a major voice in the, in, in the early faith here. It was, it, he was a renowned leader and prophet. Moses is referenced multiple times in the Old Testament and the New Testament as one who had direct access to God. I mean, he's the one who, who brought this new covenant, this new law to God's people and led them through the wilderness up until Jesus, Moses was probably the most, one of the most, if not the most significant leader in the early faith. No one could even compare to Moses until Jesus. So part one of this chapter, claiming that Jesus is greater than Moses, is a huge deal. It's a huge deal. So we're going to talk about this. Um, let's go through this verse by verse. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1 again says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Huge, huge point that we're going to talk about. Fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. So I had a college professor that like drilled this into me that whenever we were reading scripture and we saw the word therefore, every time without fail, he would always say, therefore, what's it there for? Always. So it, it, it like burned in my memory. Thank you for laughing. It burned in my memory that every time I read scripture and I see that word therefore, I go, what's it there for? And you got to go back and read, you know, previous context as to why it's there. It's a great question, by the way, to ask whenever you're reading scripture. Always go back and see what it's referencing. But in this instance, the writer is building off of what was written in chapter 2. And, and it was about the fact that Jesus can, can identify with humanity and his perfection as high priest. Um, and so the writer addresses his readers as holy brothers and sisters. Um, holy brothers and sisters. Interestingly enough, this is the only place in the Bible you see that phrase, holy brothers and sisters. And so it was an interesting thing that he says, which it was simply to remind his readers that they are part of this deep spiritual bond with each other and with God. It was this, the writer called them brothers and sisters in order to encourage them to stay focused on Jesus in the light of all they were going through together. And it's also important for us to remember that we are included in that. That it wasn't just written to the early Christians. That as we read scripture, it's written to you and me today. For later on in Hebrews, we're going to read that the word of God is alive and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. So it's, it's alive, which means it's alive today. And it speaks to us today. God's word is alive. And so it was written for us too. And you and I are part of this same bond. When we call each other brothers and sisters in Christ... You know why we say that? You know why we're saying that? Because we are part of something so much deeper and so much bigger than ourselves. Those of us who follow Jesus, who say Jesus is Lord, who say I serve God, I love Jesus, I worship Jesus. When we call each other brothers and sisters, it's more than just like a, hey brother. It's, it's like a, it's a deep spiritual bond that we share with each other that goes back for all of our brothers and sisters in faith. So we share this connection and, and this heavenly calling of God. And so what this writer, what he's encouraging us to do is to fix your thoughts on Jesus. Fix your thoughts 
on Jesus. In other words, stay focused. Stay the course. Think about Jesus often. Talk to Jesus often. Keep your mind, keep your thoughts, keep your life focused on Jesus. Think about him more than just five minutes in the morning. Invite Jesus into your daily life. Talk to him as you're driving to work. Talk to him as you walk where you're going. Invite him into your life. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. Pray before every meal. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. But we're really bad at controlling our thoughts. Many of us are really bad at this. If there's one thing we do really, really well, it's occupying our minds. We're so good at that. We can fill every, every possible moment of our day with thoughts, can't we? We can fill it with worries. We can fill it with stresses. We can fill it with anxiety. We can fill it with things we're excited about. We can fill it with things we're sad about. We can fill our minds with, with everything but Jesus if we really want to. We're so good at occupying our minds with all kinds of thoughts. We can just keep them going and going and going and going. How many of you have a hard time falling asleep at night sometimes because your brain is just going and you can't slow it down? Or, or maybe this applies to your devotional life. Where you get everything set just right. You know what I'm talking about. You get the house, the house, like the, wherever you're reading, the house is quiet. It's clean. You got your hot coffee or your tea, whichever you are. Uh, clean table. The room is clean. The music is set just right. You got the right worship music going. You guys know what I'm talking about. You guys have your worship playlist that you listen to. You, the, the lighting is set just right. Everything's perfect. And you're like, okay, now I can read God's word. And you sit down to read it. And you read a page or, and you're like, what did I just read? I thought I did it. I got, every, I got the mood set just right. Everything's perfect. Why did I miss what I just read? And it's because our minds are so easily distracted. It's so easy for us. Did you guys know the average attention? Do you guys know what the average attention span of an adult is? It's depressing. It really is. It's discouraging. It's depressing. Um, are there any guesses? Two minutes? Ten seconds? Yeah. <laughs> So according to one study by, uh, uh, by the way, online, go ahead and put it in the chat what your guesses are for the, the average human attention span. But there was a study done by Jill Epstein. You guys ready for this? So according to her study, the average human attention span is now less than a goldfish. Yeah. It is now less than a goldfish. Goldfish comes in at nine seconds. You know where humans come in at? On average, eight seconds is our attention span. This has gone way, way, way down over the years, by the way. It was not always this low. We've introduced a lot of things that have decreased our attention span as, as people. We are so easily distracted, we can focus less time than a goldfish can. It's just depressing. Um, but this also means that on average, you guys in the room... You're tuning in and out about every eight seconds or so. You're focused in for about eight seconds, and then a thought enters your brain, and you think about that for a little bit. And then you come back, and you're with me again for about eight more seconds, and then you think about something else. And we're just like constantly popping in and out of focus as people. Um, there are strategies that communicators use for this because they are aware, like when they're speaking, 
They use certain strategies to try to keep the attention. They'll change their voice, they'll play a video, they'll change pictures on the screen. They'll do whatever they can to try to keep people's attention. So that makes me feel really good as I'm preaching up here. I'm just say that right now. But honestly, social media has played such a huge role in this because um, we're just, it's trained us to be ready for the next thing. You only have to look at something for as long as you want, and then you just swipe, and you're on to the next thing. You can just, and you can just keep going, and every time you swipe, you get that dopamine hit. And it's just like, bam, bam. You don't have to focus on something for very long. You can just keep changing it. Screens are really good at capturing our attention and, and mesmerizing us. For those of you who are parents in the room, your children probably ask to play on your phone like multiple times a day because the screens are mesmerizing. I've even noticed it with our five-month-old. He's not asking for it yet, but whenever he sees a screen, he's like, I mean, like zoned in on it. It's, it's insane. Um, we, we are easily distracted, and it's, it's become a problem in our prayer life. It's become a problem in our devotional life. It's become difficult for us to focus on spending time with God, to fix our thoughts on Jesus. But it's what we're called to do. It comes from this, um, this Greek word. It's pronounced katanoeo. Katanoeo. That's a fun word to say, isn't it? Katanoeo. You're going to go home and teach that to your friends and family. Katano eo. It has two meanings. The first one is to perceive, remark, observe, and understand. Second definition is to consider attentively, fix one eyes or mind upon. I really like that second definition, to consider attentively. We're so easily distracted, but it's a discipline for us to consider attentively the presence of God in our lives. So why is it so important for us to focus, like, fixing our thoughts on Jesus? Because what you fix your thoughts on is the direction you will go. What you choose to give real estate in your mind is what will de determine the direction of your life, the decisions that you make, and the life that you live. Whatever you focus on will determine your actions. Think about it. When's the last time you obsessed over something? Whatever it was for you. When's the last time you obsessed over something? For me, I just, I got to confess something. I just got to get it out. I used to have this real obsession with like vehicles, particularly trucks. Those of you who know me, um, you know how many vehicles I've owned. Uh, I'm hesitant to even tell you because I had this obsession to where I was never satisfied with what I had. And it was to the point where I would think about vehicles, particularly trucks, when I should be doing other things. I would like always research these different cars, like what's the best car at this mileage, and I would try to find deals. I would look at dealerships. I was like obsessed over trying to find a vehicle, and that's why I've had nine vehicles in my short time. Some of you have been driving for, I don't know, three times as long as I have, and you have way less vehicles than I've had. Um, it, it's because I've obsessed over it, and it affected my wife. Pray for her. She endured with me, and, and uh, we went through that together. I think I'm better now, but... But ultimately, it reminded me of like, whatever you focus on will determine the direction of your life. If I had obsessed over Jesus, like I obsessed over trucks, man, my devotional life would have been so much better. I would have been spending so much more time with Jesus. But in the worst of times, when you feel like the bottom is falling out in your life, fix your thoughts on Jesus. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is trying to get us to do. That's what he's saying because they're experiencing this incredible hardship. But he wants them to know that Jesus is greater. That Jesus is greater than the hardship they are facing. 
The same is true for you. Jesus is greater than whatever hardship or difficulty you are facing. Whatever you're going through in this life, you need to know that Jesus is far greater than what you're going through. That, that he is greater than any circumstance, any trouble, any suffering. Jesus is greater because when you focus on Jesus, you are reminded of his love for you. When you focus on Jesus, you are reminded that you are not alone. When you focus on Jesus, you remember that this earth and the struggles that we go through, they're temporary. They're temporary. They're not eternal. When you focus on Jesus, you remind that Jesus is coming back. When you focus on Jesus, you remember that you will spend eternity with him where there's no pain, there's no suffering, there's no tears, there's only Jesus. And when you focus on Jesus, you, you get everything into the right perspective. That whatever you're facing, you're like, as long as I have Jesus, I'm going to be okay. As long as I have Jesus, I'm going to make it through. He continues on in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 2. It says, He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus had been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. So we now have this comparison of, of Jesus and of Moses, and both of them have been faithful to God. Both Jesus and Moses have been faithful to God. Keep in mind, as we already talked about, Moses was held in really high regard for these early Jewish Christians. And the writer of Hebrews knew exactly what they were saying and what they were doing in comparing Jesus with Moses. The writer wanted people to understand that Jesus is ultimately worthy of all glory and all honor and all praise. The letter to the Hebrews is, is specifically, especially early on, calling out that Jesus is greater. If you look at Hebrews chapter 1, if you've been with us, we talked about how Jesus is greater than the prophets. Chapters 1 and 2 talk about how Jesus is greater than the angels. And then chapter 3, now here we are, calling out Moses and saying Jesus is greater than them all. You understand what the writer of Hebrews is doing here? He wants to build a foundation before we get into the rest of the book of Hebrews to understand that there is only one. His name is Jesus, that he is greater than all else. Don't put your trust in any prophet. Don't you put your trust in angels. Don't put your trust in Moses. Put your trust in Jesus, for he is greater. Building that foundation of who Jesus is. And so he, he spent this entire you know, beginning of this book building Jesus up for them. You know, the prophets and the angels and Moses, they're not bad. Just like, you know, vanilla ice cream is good, but like butter pecan with like brownies and Oreo covered in chocolate from Cold Stone is better, right? Both are good, but one's better. And that's all he's saying. They are like vanilla ice cream. Jesus is, he's, he's the chocolate syrup, the whipped cream, the strawberry, like everything. That's who Jesus is. And, and you even get more of this, understanding of, of the regard they held for Moses. As you look in the Old Testament in Numbers chapter 12, verse 6 says, When there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams. Now listen to this, verse 7. He says, But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my what? House. House is mentioned in Hebrews also, by the way. Keep that in mind. Verse 8. When I speak, or with him, I speak face to face clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. 
powerful, right? Moses' relationship with God was real. I mean, he spent 40 days on a mountain with him face to face. Moses was different. His relationship with God was so close. It was so intimate. It was so real, like talking to you and me. Sometimes I envy Moses. I'm like, Moses, if I could just talk to him, be like, what was that like? What does God look like? What does his, what does his voice like audibly sound like? I mean, what an incredible experience. But he had this direct relationship with God. He was the prophet. He was the one that the Hebrews held in high esteem. He spoke to God face to face. He, he led the people out of Egypt. He spoke with God and then delivered the law to the people. Moses was the man when it came to Judaism. He was the man. So verse 3, is, it's a huge deal to these Jewish Christians. It's, it's kind of like saying, you think John Elway and Tom Brady are great? Well, there's someone who's far better than both of them combined. Right? It, it, what'd you say? Did you, the, there's a reason I didn't mention Mahomes. He's, this is Denver. This is, we, we don't mention him here. Yeah, amen. I got, I got John Elway in there, so that's good. Um, <laughs> so it continues on uh, in Hebrews chapter 3, starting at verse 4. Remember we talked about how Numbers mentions the house, right? Here we have in, in verse 4, it says, For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house. And we are his house if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence in the hope in which we glory. Okay, so it mentions this house again. We, we just read that in Numbers, that, that, that Moses was faithful in all the Lord's house. So here God's house can mean various things. In fact, as you look through Hebrews, it seems to mean multiple things depending on which verse you read. Like as you read Hebrews chapter 3, verse 2, God's house refers to the people of Israel. That's what it's referring to. If you read Hebrews chapter 3, verse 3, God's house refers to kind of a physical building. If you read Hebrews chapter 3, verse 4, God's house refers to everything. So this metaphor of house is really all-encompassing. It is all of God's people. And, and Moses is a servant in God's house, but Jesus is the son who is over God's house. Ultimately, the writer wants us to understand that Moses was faithful, but Jesus is faithful. That was very intentional language there that was used for the, for the early Christians to understand. Yes, Moses was faithful, but Jesus the son is faithful. There's a distinction there he's making. If you read verses 5 and 6 again, it says, Moses was faithful, was, notice that, Moses was faithful as a servant, that's another important word, servant in all God's house, but Christ is faithful as the what? As the son, Moses, servant, Jesus, son, okay, over God's house. And we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we Glory. Moses was a faithful servant, but Christ is the faithful son over the house, over you and me, over the church. Moses was a servant. So there's this important distinction you need to understand here in this culture, the difference between a son and a slave. Big difference here, big distinction. Ancient readers, the, the original readers of the book of Hebrews would have understood this. As a, as a dramatic contrast between Moses the servant and Jesus the son. 
Simply that language between servant and son is huge. Um, this quote here by Kevin Anderson says, Yet in every household, freeborn sons always ranked higher than slaves. Even if the slave had gained their freedom, freed slaves could never rid themselves of the mark of slavery, being called freed men, not free men. Make sense? So there's a difference between um, slaves and, and sons. The fact that Moses was referred to as a servant in the household and Jesus is the son over is big. It's important language for the original Christians reading this letter. If anything, this would have made crystal clear to them the fact that Moses was great, but Jesus was greater. Jesus ultimately was greater. Jesus even talks about the contrast between slaves and sons here in John chapter 8. Verse 35, it says, Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. And we love this verse, verse 36. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So a son has a, a permanent place in the family. They, they are born free. They, they don't even have the mark of slave. They're not called freedmen. They're just free men. They always have been and always will be a free member of the family. See, we, this is where we come in. You and I, we are called sons and daughters in the house of God. We are called co-heirs to the throne. We're going to read this here in a, in a second. We are sons and daughters. You are a child of God. You know what that means? It means you are included in the blessings of God. It means that you don't have a mark of a slave. It means that you are a you are called by God. You are a son. You are a daughter. You have full refrigerator rights in the kingdom of heaven. You are welcomed in. It's a big deal. You are not seen as someone who was once a slave. You don't even have that mark on you. Do you understand that you are a free child of God? And God calls you son. He calls you daughter. And he says, I love you. Romans chapter 8 verse 15 talks about this even more. It says, the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. And this part blows my mind. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we might also share in his glory. So this brings it all together for us. Not only are we called sons and daughters, but we are co-heirs with Christ in the kingdom of God. It reminds me of the, the parable of the, of the prodigal son. The prodigal son returns. He's, the fattened calf is killed and, and he's given a party and he's included as an heir, even though he squandered the wealth he was given, the forgiveness is there and he is now equal in the family. Again, we are sons and daughters of God forever. You have a place in the house of God. You are forgiven. You are loved. You are a co-heir with Christ. You belong to Jesus. And so Jesus is superior over Moses this is why the Hebrews receiving this letter should fix their thoughts on Jesus and not return to their old ways of Judaism. That was the whole, the whole theme of Hebrews is to encourage them not to return, but to stay faithful as followers of Jesus Christ. 
And so the challenge for the Jewish Christian and even for us is that the old ways seem comfortable sometimes. Like, man, it was a lot easier when I was living for myself. It was a lot easier when I didn't have this accountability. A lot easier when I didn't have this guilt. It was a lot easier when I could just do whatever I wanted, say whatever I wanted, act however I want, and not be worried about asking for forgiveness all the time. And not be worried about trying to live up to this standard. It's a lot easier to live the ways of the world. It's a lot more difficult to follow Jesus. The road is narrow to follow Jesus. And it's difficult. And scripture says few will find it. And it's a challenge. It'd be easier to just go back. The enemy wants you to believe that, that it would be. The enemy wants you to believe that you should just harden your heart towards God. He wants you to believe that God can't move in your situation. He wants you to feel hopeless. The enemy wants you to believe that God can't help you that you will struggle with this forever. He wants you to believe that God doesn't care about you or your life, that you're so insignificant in God's plan that God doesn't even hear you and see you. He wants you to believe that God can't hear you, that there's too many other people praying to God, and why would God care about you and your problems? He wants you to believe that God doesn't see you or your circumstances. These are all lies from the enemy. And he wants you to believe these things, and some people do. Some people think, I'm so insignificant. Why would God care about me? Why should I even pray? There's like a billion other people, seven billion, who knows, billions of people praying to God. Even right now, why would God even listen to me? But God wants you to know this. God wants you to know that God is able to move in your situation, that you are not hopeless, that God can help you. He can give you strength to endure, that God is with you. God cares deeply about you, that you are so meaningful to him. He loves you. In fact, he's waiting waiting and waiting and listening and waiting for you to talk to him and pray to him. God hears you before you even speak to him. Before a word is even on your tongue, God knows it completely. God sees you. He sees your circumstances and he is with you. But you have a role to play in this. You have a role to play. You have to listen for God's voice and you have to go where he wants you to go. You have to be faithful to him. The second part, part two of this chapter is listening and responding to the voice of God. So part two of this chapter takes a shift and it takes the perspective of learning from the past in order to move forward. The Israelites in the time of Moses, they were disobedient. You read about it a lot uh, if you want to read about it several places, but Exodus is a good place to start. You read about how they were, they were disobedient. They needed constant instruction and correction and forgiveness and mercy from God. And so he writes here in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7, says, So as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said, Their hearts are always going astray. They have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See, the writer here, he's quoting Psalm chapter 95, verses 7 through 11. Now, again, keep in mind, the writer of Hebrews was so clever. He knew his audience well. He understood what they wanted to hear, what they needed to hear. So quoting Psalm 95 was very, very intentional. Psalm 95 was often read in synagogue meetings on Friday evenings and Saturday mornings. It was often read as a call to worship and a plea to the people to not return to the ways of their ancestors, to not go back and be disobedient, to not be hard-hearted towards God, but to be obedient 
to the voice and leading of God. It was very familiar with them. It was a constant reminder to listen to God's voice and not harden their hearts towards God. That phrase, harden their hearts, is an important phrase. Um, Kevin Anderson in the New Beacon Bible Commentary said this. This is a great quote. Uh, He said, the hardening of one's heart refers to a persistent unreceptivity to God's will. It is a stubborn resistance to God. Have you ever known someone who's stubborn? It's a stubborn resistance to God. It involves a refusal to listen to God's voice and a rebellion against the divine will. Listen to this. It leads to a deadening of one's spiritual sensibilities, making it impossible to perceive or understand the truth. Hard-heartedness and how it impacts people and how it impacts followers of Jesus or non-followers of Jesus. When a person's heart becomes hard, they become rebellious against the will of God. They become spiritually dead to where they, they can't even hear the truth. They don't even know what the truth is because they've turned their back on it. They've become hard-hearted, resistant, saying, no way. I refuse. If God's in it, I don't want any part of it. When a person gets to the point where their heart is so hard, heart is so hard like that, it gets to a point where they're, they're, they're blind. They're walking blind. They need to have their heart softened again. Because they need the grace and the mercy and the leading of God. Don't harden your heart towards God. Don't refuse to listen to the, to the will and to the word of God. And by the way, a hardened heart is not something that happens by accident. You're not going to accidentally have a hardened heart. It's an intentional, conscious decision to turn away from the will of God. To turn to your own desires. It's intentional. And it's, it's very difficult to talk to someone or work with someone who has a hardened heart towards you. You ever tried to talk to someone whose heart is hard towards you? It's like everything you say just bounces off. It doesn't matter what you say. They're not listening. They don't hear a word you have to say. They're already turned against you. You can't say anything to make it any better. That's what we're talking about here. When a person's heart becomes, hearts become so hard, it's like God could, could stand in front of them and speak to them and they wouldn't even hear it because they've just turned it off. You, you can't do this by accident. And it's not the heart that God desires for you, especially towards him. God desires a heart that is soft. It's moldable like clay. And God says, once your heart is, heart is soft, I can mold you into whoever I need you to be. Once you're willing to listen to me, once you're willing to go where I lead you to go, once you're open to my guidance, God's like, I can really use you when you get to that point. See, God can do so much more through you if you have a heart that is open. But if you close your heart towards God, you put a lid on the life that God has for you. It's like God's like, you have so much potential, but because your heart is hard and you're, and you're not soft, you're not moldable, this is the best it's going to get for you. I want to take you up here. I have a life for you that you would never believe. But if your heart is hard and, and you're not soft and you're not willing to be used by me, then you know what? Your current circumstances, that's as good as it's going to get. Not going to get any better for you not going to change. God can't, God's waiting for you to get to a point where you're like, God, I'm willing. Wherever you want me to go, God, whatever you want me to do, God, whoever you want me to talk to, God, whatever life you want me to live, 
I'll do it. I'm open. Until you get to that point, you put a lid on your own potential. You put a lid on your own life. Verse 12, he says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Listen to this. Only you can manage your heart. You and only you are responsible for your heart. No one else can take care of that for you. You can't blame anyone. You and you alone are responsible for your heart. Only you can manage it. Each of us has a responsibility to manage our heart. It's our greatest task. It's a huge job, but it's up to you to manage it. If you manage your heart well and you remain open to God, you will experience this full life that God has for you. It may not be easy. It may not be the life that you planned on, but you can guarantee it'll be a, it'll be a, a full life that God has given you. The other part um, of managing your heart that's mentioned here is, is keeping your heart free from sin. This is a big one. Keeping your heart free from sin. Don't allow sin to creep into your heart. Don't allow sin to have, a, you have any room in your heart. Don't allow sin to reign in you. Don't give the enemy a seat at your table. Because the moment you start to allow sin and to, to live in your heart, before, if, you just, if you don't take care of it, if you don't cleanse it, if you don't ask for forgiveness, if you don't make things right, that sin will continue to lurk in your heart. And when you allow sin to live in your heart, you invite it to permeate every area of your life. It's foolish to think that sin in your heart won't affect your marriage or your job or your relationships or your children. When you allow sin to live in your heart, guess what? You allow sin to change who you are. The moment you invite that sin into your heart and you don't change it, you continue to give into it. You continue to live into it. Well, guess what? It's changing you and it's changing others you love. And it's impacting your life in ways you could never imagine. And the longer you let it sit, the worse it gets. Sin is like this virus that just feeds off of you and it continues to grow until you take care of it. You can't accidentally have a clean heart either. Just like you can't accidentally have a hard heart, you can't accidentally have a clean heart. You have to work at it. You have to clean it out. You have to work things out. You have to talk to that person. You have to ask for forgiveness. You have to forgive. You have to turn your back on your sin. You have to cleanse your heart. It's not going to happen by accident. Don't let it live in you any longer. It will change who you are. It will affect your marriage. It will affect your relationships. It will affect your children. It already is. It already has. And it says here that the result of allowing sin into our heart results in being a hardened heart. It's so important. You've got to get that cleaned out. Whatever sin is lurking, you've got to take care of it. You've got to give it to God. You've got to make things right. You've got to talk to the right people. You've got to ask for forgiveness. You've got to take care of it. It's not worth it. Don't let it live in your heart any longer. Things you care about are being affected right now by this. Take care of the sin that's lurking in your heart. Manage your heart. Verse 13 says, But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. 
Encourage one another daily. This life we live with Jesus, it's not easy. And you're going to walk through valleys and you're going to need help. Don't be afraid to reach out for help. You need it. I need it. We all need it. We all need help. We all need encouragement. It doesn't matter how strong or independent you think you are. All of us needs encouragement. Every single one of us needs help. We need the church to back us up. So keep in mind, people around you, they need encouragement just like you do. Some need it more than others. And it's so refreshing when you come across someone who's genuinely encouraging, loving, and supportive, and who assumes the best in people. Have you ever met someone who assumes the best in people? They don't come up to you and automatically assume the worst, but they assume the best. They're like, look, I don't know what happened, but I'm assuming, you know, something happened, but I just want you to know I'm here for you. It's so refreshing when you meet someone like that, because so often people just assume the worst. You do something wrong and they assume the worst. They assume it was intentional. You tried to hurt me. You were intentionally trying to do these things to me. We have to work on encouraging one another daily. Verse 15 through 19, it says, As has just been said, today if you hear his voice, again, it's quoting Psalm 95, Do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard him but rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry at for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Again, it's a call to overemphasize the warning not to fall away from their faith in God. He reminds them how their ancestors fell away and what resulted in that. Ultimately, you and I were encouraged to stay the course, to encourage one another. You and I were no different than the early Christians. We just live in a different time period and have different struggles, different challenges, but all of us have them. There's times when we struggle to make it to church, isn't it? There's times when we struggle to spend time with God, and there's times when we question what's going on around us. I want to close with this, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 reminds us, Paul reminds us that, that following this calling that God has put on our life, that it's a fight. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. It's a fight. Following Jesus, it's a fight. But it's worth it. It's worth it. Keep following Jesus. Maybe, maybe this is you today. Maybe you're at a point where you have been feel like you've been fighting for a while and you're struggling. Maybe you feel like it's been a while since you've heard the voice of God. Maybe you feel like you've got some sin lurking in your heart that you need to take care of. If that's you, you're in good company. You're in good company and you're not alone. And don't beat yourself up. Take care of it. But know that there's this God who loves you, who offers you grace, who says, you know what? I know about that sin that you're thinking about right now. I know about that thing that you've been struggling with and and believe me, I want to take care of that for you. Jesus is with you. Don't ever think for a second you've walked through this alone. Take care of whatever it is that that you're thinking about right now. Whatever that's on your heart, whatever that sin that's lurking in your life, take care of it. Don't let it sit another moment. What are you waiting for? It's only growing and getting worse. Take care of it. Offer it to Jesus. Give it to him. Don't harden your heart towards God. And remember, there is a God who knows your name. He loves you and cares for you deeply. 
Well, let's, let's, uh, let's close in prayer together. Well, Father God, we thank you so much for your great, great love and your mercy that is fresh and new every morning. God, we thank you for your grace that you just pour out so lavishly on us. We thank you for your strength that you offer us, God. Without your strength, we couldn't even get up in the morning. Without your strength, there'd be no breath in our lungs. God, we recognize the fact that we are living, breathing, alive, speaking here today because of you, Jesus. It is all because of you. Help us, God, to take care of the things in our heart that we need to take care of, the things that are lurking in us, the things that are causing our heart to be hardened, the the things that that have just gotten in the way, the things that are affecting our life. God, help us to take care of those things. I pray for the person who's sitting here or even watching online who's dealing with this deep personal sin that they're ashamed of, that they're even afraid to talk to anybody about. God, I pray that you help them, that you give them courage to, to clean it out, to make things right, to soften their heart, to be moldable to you, God, because you might be leading them to do something, but until their heart is soft, they may not hear you. Show them how to soften their own heart, God. Show them how to follow you and how to walk with you. If you're here today and you want to give your life to Jesus, I encourage you to say this prayer. Say, Jesus, will you forgive me? I've allowed a lot of things in my life. I've allowed a lot of sin. I'm not proud of the way I've lived. But Jesus, right now, today, I ask for your forgiveness. Will you be my Savior? Will you be my God? Today, I choose to follow you. Today, I choose to love you. Have your way in me, Jesus. I am your servant. I love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.